0: Welcome to the very first episode of the Both Barrels podcast. I'm James P. Sumner, the self-published best-selling author of the Adrian Hell series of action thrillers. Now why is an author doing a podcast, I hear you ask? Well, for two reasons. The first is that I love the idea of being able to interact with my readers and a potentially new audience of listeners by giving them the chance to get to know me, the person behind the book. Now being a full-time writer, it's a lonely job and speaking to my readers is an important part of my daily routine. They'll know from my Facebook Live videos that I'm a little rough around the edges uh, with my approach to, well, (laughs) almost anything really. Um, And when I floated the idea of this podcast to them, they were all very supportive and very positive about it, saying it's a perfect way for me to let people get to know the real James P. Sumner. Uh, It's a fun and exciting opportunity, and it's given me something to do besides write books, and I honestly can't wait to get started. Now, the second reason is that I really want to get my books out there in audio format. Now, you can download the eBooks, you can purchase the paperback editions online, but audio is a project that's eluded me thus far. Now, I have book one in my series, True Conviction, available, but if I'm being honest, that cost a lot to produce, and it took me a long time to publish, and after almost two years, it's just about broke even. Now, what this podcast does... It gives me a platform to do something very few authors out there are doing right now. And that's to offer you, the listener, the opportunity to listen to all of my books on a weekly, serialised basis, narrated by yours truly. Now each episode will feature a chapter of my book, and as the podcast goes on, we'll work our way through the entire series. Now I get to put the audio versions of my books out there, and have an enormous amount of fun in the process, whilst also reaching a new audience that I might not have connected with otherwise. And you lovely people get to experience my audiobooks without having to pay $15 on Amazon. So basically, it's a win-win. So let's get down to it. This first segment something I like to call In the Firing Line, where I get to talk to you about something I'm interested in, or something I think you might be interested in. Um, and it's well, it's well, not an, it's not my aim or intention to be... Or controversial or anything like that. I'm not going to start going off on rants about politics and things each week. I'm not here to bore you or annoy you. I'll simply be talking about things of interest and giving you a chance to get to know more about me and the way I think about things. So, this week I'm going to review or critique, I guess, the new Justice League movie. Now, I'll keep this as spoiler free as I can, uh, just in case you want to see it and you haven't had a chance yet. Now, I'm a big comic book fan. That's no secret. I also am a fan of movies in general. And whilst I've preferred the Marvel Cinematic Universe over DC's equivalent, I have enjoyed previous films in the series, namely Man of Steel, uh, Batman vs Superman, and the more recent Wonder Woman. Now, I've been looking forward to Justice League ever since it was announced they will be making it, which was way back in, uh, I think, late 2014. Uh, now... Along the way it has encountered a a host of production issues and delays, Uh, I think they even changed the director at one point um, after principal filming had completed. Um, But eventually, finally, it's here and last week I got the opportunity to go and see it. So it pains me to admit this, but I didn't actually find it that good. Now I know, I know I literally just said I wouldn't be too controversial and here I go. But, but I had high hopes for the film, and it certainly had a lot of potential to be basically Batman's version of The Avengers. But it just wasn't. Now don't get me wrong, as a standalone film, it was enjoyable enough. All right, It had great special effects, it had action, it had humour along the way. It was okay. But a large percentage of people going to see the movie will know that it isn't a standalone film. It follows on from the truly wonderful Batman vs Superman, um, which was the film that set up Justice League perfectly. Now, the thing that first struck me about this film was that it kind of felt like it started halfway through. It doesn't officially announce how much time has passed since the end of Batman vs Superman, but it's suggested that it's been a while. Um the world is in shock and turmoil, all hope is lost, etc, etc. But we start by seeing Ben Affleck's Batman swinging across rooftops, fighting a weird-looking alien, and talking about a magical box, which is one of the things that serves as one of the main plot points of the movie. And I was like, what's he talking about? What box? And what's that weird man-sized mosquito that he's punching in the face? Now, he does go on to explain himself, but he does it in such a way that it's almost like they kind of assume that people watching will already know what he's doing and why, you know? There's no backstory, there's no build-up, there's no real explanation as to how you got from the end of one movie to the start of the next. It's as if they cut out the first 30 minutes and it was frustrating. And unfortunately, it did kind of set the tone for the rest of the film. Now, the other glaring issue that struck me was the sheer volume of plot holes. And you can argue that the fact that they lost Zack Snyder um, as director, as I say, just after principal filming finished, um, had had an impact because they replaced him with Joss Whedon, who, was, as we know, um, is, is renowned for films like this. He was the man behind The Avengers. Um, so he came on board and he immediately began reshooting half of the scenes as well as additional scenes, uh, messing around with the script. And that was bound to cause inconsistencies and issues which you know, would need to be kind of tidied up and edited along the way before release. With all that said, you kind of expect a Hollywood movie packed with A-listers with a budget, I think, reportedly in the high $300 million range, you know, any of those problems you'd think they would fix them before they released the film, but they didn't. Now, these aren't just like niggling little things that, you know, the most hardcore of comic book geek or movie buff will pick up on, These are huge gaping holes in the story that have no right to be there. Let me give you an example. So one of the characters in the movie, um, Cyborg, okay, now his backstory uh, is that his scientist father created him by merging his recently deceased son with alien technology uh, found in the ship that's kind of lying around in the aftermath of the ending of Batman versus Superman and, you know, Superman's apparent death. Now that's all well and good, and cyborg himself serves as somewhat of a of a key key plot point in the overall movie, but in Batman vs Superman uh probably about halfway through the film, there's a scene where Batman and Wonder Woman are watching this surveillance video of cyborg being worked on and being tested on in a in a laboratory of some kind now that happens quite a while before the ending, so he obviously wasn't created after or because of Superman's death, because he existed while Clark Kent Superman was still alive. Now that's pretty big. Considering the amount of emphasis that's put on him throughout the film, that's a bit of a whoopsie, if you ask me. And and like I say, I understand things like that can happen. I I'll hold my hands up, I once killed the same person twice in one of my books. Um <laughs> it's a true story. In in one last bullet. Uh, Adrian Hell killed a no-name henchman in the office of a strip club and then literally in the next chapter that same henchman is explaining to his boss that the club was attacked. It's easy to do, but that's why we have editors to stop stuff like that from finding its way into the final product. And as I said before, you'd think, you know, what, $300, $350 million budget, you'd think they'd get a decent editor to pick up on things like that. Now the only other example that I can give uh, without kind of stepping into spoiler territory, is with regards to the Flash. Now, the character as a whole was a bit of a letdown for me. Um, I was expecting great things, purely based on what the the plethora of trailers uh, showed of him. But the end product was... It was just a poor attempt to recreate Spider-Man from Captain America Civil War. The thing that really stood out, and again, this kind of relates to the whole plot hole thing, was... These man-sized flying mosquito things, right, they're aliens from God knows where who feed on people's fear to get stronger, right? Now The Flash, uh, Barry Allen, as he is, um, spends the entire film telling Batman and whoever else happens to be around that he's never done the whole hero thing before and he's ultimately terrified constantly. And yet not one of these weird alien things attack him. It's all about they attack everybody else, everyone who's running around screaming, going, oh my god, we're being invaded. They attack all them, but they never attack the Flash. The only time they actually engage with him is during the big fight scene, when he's fighting them anyway. So it just makes absolutely no sense. There's no consistency. Now, on the whole, I think I found the plot a little too vague and a little too contrived for my liking. Um, like, these, this magic box, right, there's three of them. I don't know where they're from, some mythical thing, unlimited power, blah, blah, blah. Now, the actual gods of old decided to protect them by hiding them all in one place, on Earth. The one planet in the universe populated exclusively by people who aren't strong enough to protect them from anyone who would ever try to take these boxes and use them for evil purposes. I mean, come on, people, seriously? It's like... The scene in the horror movie where the ax maniac breaks in through the back door, chases the babysitter with the big breasts and the tight jumper through the house. She runs towards the front door, heading towards the street, into public, to safety. And then all of a sudden, she turns and runs upstairs, where there's no escape, and she dies horribly in the bathroom with an axe in her head. I mean, come on, these are gods. Zeus, Ares, all that crowd. They fought alongside the Amazons, uh, Wonder Woman's lot. Atalanteans, Aquaman's people, mankind, uh, the Green Lanterns even, to repel a cosmic threat so large it prompted actual gods to appear and help fight them. And then after they win, these gods think, ah, these three magical boxes that can destroy existence should they ever be brought together. Let's hide them all together. Oh, and we'll charge people with protecting them who are weaker and smaller than the enemy who's most likely to come looking for them. I mean, they had Green Lanterns there. These These people in the DC universe are basically the police force of the entire universe, right? They can literally go anywhere to the farthest reaches of space and time, and they think, no, no, we won't give them to them. We'll leave them on Earth with the weak people. Yeah, good plan, guys. Look, I know it sounds like I'm just dogging the film, and I don't mean to. Like I said, it's not a bad film, really. It's just not what it should have been. It never lived up to its potential. It's kind of like a Ford Mondeo, right? It's a good car. But you wouldn't put it in a Formula 1 race and expect it to win, would you? You know, it's just, this film was meant to be DC's answer to the Avengers, but instead it's nothing more than a subpar action movie. Now, I just hope that the DVD release comes with uh, like an extended version, like a director's cut, that includes what I can only assume is at least an hour of footage that didn't make it into the cinematic release. You know, maybe that'll help make the film what it should have been in the first place. So, I think the bottom line is this. If you want to switch off for a little under two hours, watch stuff get blown up with very little explanation, and see Batman and Wonder Woman kick some butt, then this is the film for you. Well, actually, Batman vs Superman is probably better for all of that. Uh, But this is a new one, and it does attempt to progress the underlying story a little bit. Um, So, you know, give it a go. It's escapism, and it's kind of an attempt at escapism anyway. But if you're looking for like the ultimate team up movie, the culmination of years of amazing storytelling, a gathering of fantastic uh, individual he- superheroes all brought to life exactly as you imagined, if that's everything that you want, wait for the new Avengers movie that's coming out next May, okay? Because that's going to be a billion times better than this. You can help support this podcast by sponsoring it today. Whilst the show and the content on it is free. Donations via Patreon.com will help towards production costs and the time I spend away from writing to record the show. This is the only way I can monetize the project, and anything you're able to donate is greatly appreciated. Visit Patreon.com forward slash James P Sumner today. That's patreo ncom com forward slash James P Sumner to help keep the dream alive and the content coming. Thank you. This next segment something I like to call behind the book and each week I'll take you behind the scenes and look at a different area of a self-published author's life. That could be anything from tips on plotting to creating characters to marketing the books. I think it'll be great to lift the curtain and allow readers to get a glimpse of the things that we authors think about and deal with. It might also prove useful for other authors seeking to expand their own knowledge or simply gain another perspective on their craft. So this week... I want to take a look at probably one of the most well-known issues a writer struggles with. Writer's block. Now, I'm sure you're all familiar with the term, but I think there are a few misconceptions about it. See, whenever you see it depicted in a movie or, in some, or on TV or something, it's always some struggling author who can't think of anything to write. That isn't what writer's block is. I think I think the term itself is a little misleading. A more accurate phrase would be, creative roadblock. Now, I know a lot of authors, and I'm fortunate enough to consider a lot of them friends, and I can tell you without fear of contradiction that not one author is ever short of things to write. I know people who have 10, 20, 30 notepads full of ideas or concepts for novels that they want to eventually get around to writing. I used to get 5 or 6 pages of ideas pretty much every morning on my commute to work just from observing people and hearing their conversations. In a non-stalker way, obviously. Um, so, so no, writer's block isn't the lack of ideas. It's one of two things. It's either the lack of motivation, or the inability to translate your idea into something that makes sense. Let me give you an example of one time that I suffered from this. Now, my latest novel, or my last novel, uh, Thicker Than Blood, it's book seven in my series. Okay, uh, it's probably the first book I've written that was remotely structured beforehand I had uh, three distinct acts and I knew how the book ended Um, but I got to the beginning of that third act and I hit a wall see in a nutshell the way it works is act one sets the scene and identifies the problem act two figures out how to solve the problem and act three is where you go and solve the problem Um, now i had done the first two easily enough and I knew how the hero, how Adrian Hell was going to solve the problem and close out the story, but I just couldn't figure out how to tell the reader how he did it. Now I wrote the first chapter of that third act maybe six times, and each time it, the, I took the story in a slightly different direction in the hope that one of them would find the path, uh, stumble upon the way to the end that I knew existed, but nothing worked, and it caused immense frustration. It caused low confidence. It caused lack of motivation. um, And it meant that I just sat there and stared at a blank page for almost a fortnight. That's writer's block and it's awful. And I eventually, I mean, I eventually figured out the problem with the story um, and the book went on to be a bestseller and win two awards. So I think I got it right in the end. But that was one of the hardest sections of a book I've ever tried to write. Now, in that instance, It was caused simply by a creative stumbling block. Other times, and I've had this happen too, um, it can be down to the fact that you're not ready to write. Now, you're not... Sometimes you're just not in the mood. You're not motivated. Now, I know everyone's different, and I draw this conclusion mostly from my own experience, although I know it's certainly not unique to me. But a lot of writers will, will say, you have to write every day. Stephen King famously says, you know, you have to write every day, even birthdays and Christmas. No, you don't. Okay, don't. If you try and force yourself, it's right. It's like anything else. If you try and force yourself to write a book every day, you'll struggle because there are always times when you simply want to give your brain a day off. You know, forcing yourself to do something you don't want to do often leads to burnout and contempt for what it is that you're trying to do, and that can lead to more time away from writing than if you're just taking a day off. So instead. Be honest with yourself know what your strengths are and work with them now I know I'm good for maybe two or three hours a day four or five days a week for decent writing output so I don't try to do more than that um, I know that if I hit a roadblock I need to stop I need to take a step back and then reread everything that I've written up until that point and along the way I'll tidy it up a bit I'll do a bit of on-the-fly editing, and then by the time I catch up with myself again, that role block isn't as intimidating, and it's easier to work through. I mean, you forget sometimes that even though two chapters are in sequence next to each other in the finished novel, weeks could have elapsed between the author writing each one of those, and it's easy to lose your flow, uh, lose your thread and your train of thought, and that's what leads to brick walls. So let's summarise here. Writer's block isn't the inability to write something. Writers are never short sure of things they want to get down, it's a stumbling block brought on by either a being unable to translate your idea into something that makes sense or b the lack of motivation to write in the first place. So if it's a then something that works for me is to stop go back and do a quick read through and edit of everything you've done so far to help you refresh that mindset to re yourself With the story thus far and then you're better equipped to break through that brick wall when you get back to it and if it's b then don't force the issue take a day away from it give your brain some time off a rest can work wonders or if you're adamant that you you have to write something then do a little creative sprint the one thing i tried was allowing myself 15 minutes to write an introduction to a character from that character's perspective. Um, It's a great little exercise to reconnect with your creative flow. And it also serves to put your mind at ease if you're beating yourself up about not doing anything. At least you're writing something and it's a sense of achievement. And you never know, just sprinting out a few hundred words like that, without too much conscious thought or pressure, it might just produce some worthwhile material. So as a self-published author, actual writing is only one of the things that we do each day. And I sometimes forget that it's the fun bit. It's not part of the job. Accounting, marketing, managing your website, that's the job. Writing's the good bit, it's the reward. It should never be the thing that stresses you and it's okay to take a step away if you ever find it becoming difficult. (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, we have reached story time. Uh, this is the segment of the show where we will today begin uh, serialising the Agent Hill series. Um, today will be the first chapter of True Conviction. And just before we get started, I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, the book, the ebook is available for free on all platforms, Amazon, Kobo, uh, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, you name it. So if you haven't checked the book out, if you want to have a look, if you want to read it or if you want to read along with it, then it's there to pick up for free. Um, The second thing I want to mention is that the books do contain um, adult language and they do contain adult situations and graphic violence. Obviously, reading the books out uh, week by week, I will be reading them as they are written. So this is the part of the podcast the part of the show where um, the the uh, um, (laughs) PG-13 sign gets turned off so it's just to kind of warn you in advance it's not me kind of just randomly using a potty mouth I'm reading a book to you so uh, so there we go without further ado uh, this is True Conviction book one in the Adrian Hell series chapter one August 20 2013 3.04pm Holy crap, it's hot. The long, straight highway cutting across the unforgiving landscape in front of me is steaming in the afternoon sun. But I'm not complaining. I mean, I'm still wearing my leather jacket, which I know isn't helping, but I'm on a job. You never know who's watching, and is everything in my line of work. I suppose I could have stayed on the air-conditioned bus for the last four miles, but it's been a long day, and I feel like walking. Still, it's damn hot. I was in Milwaukee when I got the call about this job in Heaven's Valley. I was standing on the balcony of a 15-storey apartment. It was early evening and the temperature had been a refreshing 64 degrees. Inside the apartment, lay on the bed, was a dead man. I'd tracked him across the city for three days and struck when I knew he was alone. I'd knocked on his door and when he answered, I kicked it hard, so it flew open and hit him in the face. I assumed the security chain would be fastened and figured the initial force would have been necessary to gain entry. He'd stumbled backward and fell over, clutching his bleeding and presumably broken nose. His wide eyes had stared up at me, his face a mixture of fear and confusion. "'Sit on the bed,' I'd said to him. He didn't move at first, but when I'd taken my gun out and aimed it at him, He didn't hesitate a second longer. Once he'd sat down, I'd reached into my pocket and pulled out the suppressor. I took my time attaching it, letting him see what was coming, letting him process the realisation it was the last night of his life. Why? he'd asked. What do you want with me? I'd said nothing. Silence forces them to start thinking, to jump to their own conclusions, which in turn leads to fear and submission. It's a standard psychological tactic designed to keep your target distracted so they don't think about resisting. Plus, it was more entertaining. Now don't get me wrong, I never take pleasure in doing what I do. If anything, I find it quite monotonous at times, but it pays well and I'm good at it. It's not always easy, but I try to remain detached and keep out of my own head. It allows me to see things objectively, every angle, every possible outcome. I operate by relying purely on my instincts. Now the man struggled to figure out why I was there, bless him. I'm pretty sure we'd reached the conclusion I was going to shoot him, but the reasons why seemed to remain a genuine mystery to him. My cell phone would rung, interrupting the scene. I put my Bluetooth earpiece in and answered the call from my handler. Hey man, I'd said. Just give me a second, would you? Then I aimed my gun and fired. The muffled sound of the bullet was the last thing my target had heard. He wouldn't have felt a thing. It hit him in the centre of the forehead, causing an instant explosion of crimson and pink to spray across the wall behind him. His body twitched as it fell back, leaving him laying motionless on the bloodstained covers. I walked out onto the balcony and took a deep, calming breath as I looked at the beautiful city sprawled out below me. Sorry about that, i said. What's up? My handler then gave me the details of the next job. Easy work, a good payout, and I got to visit a city I'd never been to before. I took it without more than a second thought. The next morning, I'd hopped on the first Greyhound to Minnesota. From there, I'd flown down to Las Vegas. There were some delays along the way, but nothing major. Plus, the advantage of being in business for yourself was that you rarely had to rush to be somewhere, so I took my time and did my best to enjoy the trip. By the time I was on the bus heading here, however, the travelling, the lack of legroom, and the loud, sweaty people were all starting to annoy me. I felt the beginnings of a headache, and my stress levels were slowly climbing into homicidal territory. So, when we drove past a sign that announced the city limits were only four miles away, I made the decision to walk it. The sweats running down my face and into my eyes, stinging them as I walked beneath the blistering sun. I squint ahead seeing the steam rise off the blacktop on the horizon making the faint image of the city and the mountains beyond wavy like a mirage. My shoulders aching too from the weight of my bag. I always travel light but fatigue setting in. While I wouldn't give right now for an ice cold beer. Heaven's Valley is a basin city in the middle of the Nevada desert about 150 miles north of Vegas. Bordering it to the north and the western mountains. To the south and the east is nothing but sand. Its reputation is well known. People say it's easy to lose yourself there. It's a place that thrives on the sins of the common man. Drugs, money, women. All there for those who want it. But one man's heaven can be another man's hell. Now, me, I've made a career out of being invisible and avoiding places like that. But over the years I've developed somewhat of a reputation in certain unsavoury circles that means I'm more notorious than anonymous nowadays. You see, I'm an assassin. A damn good one. Probably one of the best operating in North America today. Maybe even the world, I don't know. I say that with no ego. It's, It's just a fact. I've honed my craft over the last 11 years or so, and I take pride in being good at it. As a kid, I was military, first one through the door during Desert Shield. From there, I was recruited to Langley. But since retiring from doing the government's dirty work, I found it difficult to hold down a job that didn't involve shooting people. Old habits, I guess. So, I've worked hard and with some help, I've become a legend in the criminal fraternity. Nowadays, I'm regarded as the only hitman worth hiring if you want a job done right. Does that make me sound like a bad person? I like to think not. I'm not an assassin like you see in the movies. I won't ever pull the trigger unless I'm satisfied the target deserves a bullet. See, in my line of work, you deal with a lot of people who do terrible things, so I don't feel bad saying someone deserves to die. On the other hand, I suppose you could argue that, strictly speaking, I go around killing people for a living. I'm hardly going to win any humanitarian awards. But think what you want. I'm going to continue taking money off bad people in return for killing other bad people. Once you've worked for the CIA, it's almost impossible to find your moral compass again. So I just listen to my gut and I do what I believe is right. So, who am I? My name is Adrian Hell. Welcome to my life. And so there we go. Uh, story time has finished for this week. Thank you very, very much. For taking the time to check out this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, next week, we will have uh, a brand new topic for In the Firing Line. We will have more behind the book um, and we will have chapter two of True Conviction. Until then, thank you very, very much. I'm James P. Sumner and this has been the Both Barrels Podcast.